Hello everyone, welcome back to another Saturday edition of the Spirit of Prophecy. We are going to play a program from way back. I can't believe it. I looked, it's been over six years. This was one of the first live streams that I ever did um, promoting anything, uh, promoting anything related to eschatology and Israel. And this is a conversation I had with Pastor Matt first over six years ago. I Boy, does time fly. I had no idea it had been that long, but um, he had written the book called Who is Israel? And I had read it, loved it, got a lot from it. And so we had a conversation. I haven't watched this conversation in years. Uh, so I, I don't even remember what all was said. I just remember it was a big hit. I uh, really enjoyed doing it. And so uh, make sure you watch us. And if you haven't ordered his book yet, I've got the link for it in the description. You've got to get your hands on this book. Who is Israel? But Matt first, he's always, a, he's a regular uh, on the program, but this is the very first uh, of interviews I ever did with him. So I hope you enjoy this. Thank you for watching. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope uh, this will be a blessing tonight. I'm really excited about this interview. This is going to be an interesting conversation. We've got Pastor Matt first from Mountain View Baptist Church in Custer, South Dakota. And Matt, pa uh oh, hang on a second. I got my volume going on here. There we go. Uh, but anyway, Pastor First, he's the author of Who is Israel? And I'm telling you, this book is great. Uh, I have never done any of these yet, you know, like promoting anything, trying to sell anything before. I'm not selling these, but listen, I want everybody to go and order one of these books because it is, it's a great book. So much great truth in there. I thought I knew quite a bit about the subject, but man, I learned a ton just from reading that book and i'm telling you you need to get it you need to share that book with whoever you can there's a lot of opposition to uh what we're trying to teach the you know, zionism's all over the place but i'm telling you this book will be a great help to you and so you need to order it and when we get to the end of this if you stay tuned for the whole thing towards the end we're going to be giving away a few copies so um, you, you'll be able to see how you can uh, participate in that and uh, win a copy. But these copies that you win, they're going to be given to a pastor. And so I'll say more about that when we get close to it. But I am—I really appreciate Pastor First being willing to do this. This is a conversation that needs to happen. And that's what we do on this program. Uh, we have conversations that just aren't taking place, but need to take place. And this seems to be a good way to kind of get the word out about it but this question of of israel a question of the chosen people it is it's so important and so uh right now i'd just like to introduce pastor first for those of you who don't know him you might remember him from marching to zion but pastor first thank you so much for being on here today well thank you pastor i appreciate you asking me to do this uh it's kind of nervous just because i've never been on live before but uh, writing the book's easier because you can always erase and change what you said uh, but I do want to say that I, I have mailed out a lot of copies to pastors uh, that I knew, and I just asked them to, you know, either put it on the shelf for when they have time to read it or think they're interested in the subject, and then to tell me what they thought about it. But um, I'd be glad to, to send a copy to a pastor that doesn't have the money to buy one. Um, and uh, not, not making money on them, just trying to recoup the money to reprint more, and I have. Yeah, all right, that sounds good. Um, and I know too, you know, if it's it's a little cheaper for those of you that are into the technology and all that, you can uh, buy the uh, what do they call it, the Kindle version and stuff online. 
I know that, that that's another way you can get it. It's a little easier, but, um, but yes, I, I really do. I think this is a great thing. And uh, just something else I want to throw out too. I think one of the things that I'm going to do, I mentioned I'm going to be giving away one of, one of these books, Who is Israel, uh, to different pastors. So one of the ways you can win this is um, I need to think of a cool name for my interviews that I do. I need to think of a cool name for the show, and I can't think of anything. So if anybody can come up with a great name for the show, uh, you know, most of the ones I think of are really long, like the most interesting conversations in the world or something like that. But anyway, uh, something to think about. I'll ask about that later and see which one we like. We'll see what happens there. But anyway, I've got several questions I want to ask uh, Pastor First right now. And when we get to the end, we're going to give you an opportunity. You'll be able to uh, ask him some questions yourself, too. And so I hope you'll do that. If you are um, if you're on our side, if you have seen the truth about Zionism, you know, ask him some of the questions that you get asked all the time. Maybe some, if you get stumped, uh, you know, maybe he can help you with some of these things. Or if you are not on our side, you know, if there's some questions you feel like we're dodging, um, you know, this is your chance to ask him live, put him on the spot. And so anyway, first question, though, that I wanted to ask, and this was one of the things that uh, concerned me before I preached my first message um, about God's chosen people. Um, at first, I was really nervous about it, and I remember my wife, she asked, you know, I was like, you know, what if something happens to us, you know, for going after Israel? And, you know, and Pastor First is someone who has written a book about Israel that is, uh, you say some pretty negative things against uh, physical Israel, which we are have been being told for years we are supposed to bless these people. I mean, aren't you afraid that you're going to be cursed for standing against God's chosen people, the physical nation of Israel? Yeah, you, you know, you hear that all the time. Uh, how can you dare say something? You know, you know you're going to be cursed for it. Um, <laughs> first of all, I've already blessed more than I deserve. If I, if I stop breathing right now and I never got one more quote-unquote blessing from God on earth, uh, I, I've already lived past what I deserve. And... Uh, but at the same time, if I died, I, I'm going to heaven, and I, uh, I'm not worried about that. I, I do worry. I guess maybe worry is not the right word, but I, I wonder what would happen if, if something bad happened to me. Uh, the naysayers would say, "See, look what happened," and you know that that's that's certainly a possibility that you know if God would would allow something to happen to me. I can tell you this: I've been in the emergency room plenty of times in my life. Uh, I carry an EpiPen wherever I go. I've come close to death many, many times, and uh, I suppose it's because I believe this. Maybe, maybe this is that's the reason, right? Uh, but um, I was thinking about uh, Stephen in Acts chapter seven. He obviously uh, made a big boo boo when he was preaching, uh, and he rehearsed the hardness and the stiff neckness of the people's hearts uh, because obviously he got the curse of Abraham because uh, he he was stoned to death at the end of that chapter. So I'm. I can see there, you know, there's a real good illustration there of, of how the blessings of Abraham didn't work out too well. Even <laughs> that That's a very good point. And, you know, my wife and I, we've talked about that too, because if anything bad happens now, I've already had several curses pronounced on me uh, by preachers. And, we, you know, and that is, I know that's how it would be interpreted. And that is, that's, that's not fair. I preached a whole message uh, after I had some curses pronounced on me on, the danger of looking for signs. And that is, that's a ridiculous thing. People should not go off that, but they do. And that was finally the answer I had. It's like, you know, either I believe the Bible or I don't. And 
you know, I see very clearly what it says. I shouldn't be afraid to preach it just because somebody else out there is pronouncing a curse on me. But I think that's a very good answer. But and also, I would like to say that John the Baptist said that said to the Jews of his day that they were a generation of vipers, and so did Jesus. And look what happened to both of them. So yeah, yeah. there you go too. I mean. Jesus himself, you know, he uh, he spoke some things against the Jews, and look what happened to him. So, yeah, so I guess if bad things happen to us, we're in really good company. So, yep. you maybe look at it as a badge of honor. So, uh, I'm feeling better about that already. But anyway, so, and, you know, what in, what in your opinion, you know, you this is something you believe for a long time. With me, it's it's been only a few years since I came around. I, I know for you, and you'll probably uh, say more about it in a little bit. I mean, this is this is something you believe for a very long time. But so you might have a better, a uh, uh, little more insight into this than I would. But why, in your opinion, are Baptists so stuck on Jews being the chosen people? You know, they know that doesn't make them saved. If you ask them, you know, if, if a Jew dies, are they going to heaven? They'll say no. They're they're going to hell. You know, they they're figuring out that they are. You know, it's a very wicked religion. That they are a very wicked people. And you know, this teaching, I believe, it's being exposed. You know, thanks to you know your book. You know, you got marching design out there. There's uh, more preachers out there that are preaching against this stuff. But you know, that you know, why can't they let go of it? Well, first of all, I don't think all Baptists are, are fooled. Um, there's probably 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee, or maybe that's not the right number. But I know my book's only the result of my Baptist pastor who saw the light and, and through study of Scripture. Uh, but we don't hear from them. Maybe they don't have a voice. and Maybe they're too timid or afraid to say something because they'll get shot down by the establishment or by you know public opinion. But you know, nowadays, I mean, anything anti-Semitic sounding is scary. You know, who wants that label to be labeled an anti-Semitic person? Uh, the truth is, I don't hate anyone. It wouldn't matter if we we're talking about the Chinese or the Italians. You know, it would. It's just that through Scripture, you you have to. You can only come to one conclusion in all of this, and uh, the lie of the devil is to fool people into instead of preaching the gospel to. Uh, the Jewish people is to pat them on the back and tell them they're already special as they are. And uh, we are literally, they are literally loving them to death. And it's a shame. Uh, but why are Baptists? I don't know. Schofield wasn't even a Baptist. Uh, but Dallas Theological Seminary comes straight out of Schofield. His disciple was Lewis Berry Chafer. That's where the school got started. Uh, most of your eschatology, most of most of your subjects, uh, you know, systematic theology is going to be leaning towards in their direction, in that direction, dispensational direction. Uh, and it's been going on for over 100 years through the, the Schofield Reference Bible and Larkin uh, and dispensationalism. And so um, when you've got all these training centers that are already brainwashing the students, the next pastors of the churches out there, then eventually you you don't question anymore. You just walk lockstep, and I think that's what's happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. I mean, unfortunately, I think uh, Baptist has become a denomination, unfortunately, and um, there's not really much independent about independent Baptists, and I think this is an example of that because, you know, it, it is such a clear teaching, and yet people are just militant about it. And so, uh, you know, just I, I think a good example of how, 
Baptists today or independent Baptists as a denomination, it's not very independent, is just how much grief you kind of get when you take this position. And, you know, how much grief have you gotten over this? I mean, I, obviously, I'm sure you probably got a lot. I know you got some uh, for sure. Uh, I was going to say a few things about it a little bit for being a part of marching design, but then putting a book out too. I know that's, uh, I know that's got a target on your back. You know, I, I wouldn't say I've had a lot of persecution or grief. Um, I think a, a lot of people are just kind of quiet, you know, um, people that used to maybe communicate, don't talk, not saying a whole lot, maybe want to separate themselves. I suppose I could go and see some unfriended on Facebook if I, if I took the time, but, um, I, you know, I just, I just want to live and, and have a reputation that overcomes whatever it is they think or they assume uh, because of what they think they, they've heard. I, I did, I was involved uh, with a, a fellowship of pastors in, in my area uh, that operate a camp. And um, when Marching Design came out and, and then they, they heard that I had a book out, they decided to oust me and to kick me out of their fellowship. And, um, you know, that's, that's not exactly persecution, but that's something I did face. Okay, man. Yeah. And that is, it is, you definitely, you definitely get kicked out of the club for sure. But, you know, I went back and I watched it again because I hadn't seen it in a long time probably since it came out, but um, I watched that video that Sam get made a couple of years ago where he referred to you and, he, as Pastor Muppet. And I noticed too, it was kind of interesting. He never said your name and he got the state wrong where you're from. And the thing about that, I know after he watched that video, he immediately, you know, he immediately investigated you. He knew your name. He knew where you were from, but I think he got your name wrong and the state wrong because he didn't want people looking you up, but he did. He, he called you Pastor Muppet, which is what everybody does. Whenever I try to tell people uh, you know, my beliefs on this, they all want to just say, oh, you're just poly parenting Stephen Anderson, you know, and, you know, and yes, Stephen Anderson teaches all this stuff. You know, he, he, he preaches it, but I, I refuse to let him hog all the truth. And, you know, and are, are you just a puppet of Pastor Anderson? Well, you brought up a lot. Let me first of all talk about Git since you brought that up first, if I can. Um, my dad was a pastor in Wyoming, so maybe that's why Git mentioned Wyoming instead of South Dakota. I'm, I'm real close to Wyoming. I'm not far from the border. Um, I did contact Mr. Gipp before Marching Design ever came down, and I, and I asked him, are you sure you meant what you said when you said that in that sermon, that Jesus was not your Messiah? And uh, he just sent me this, this long diatribe. He never did answer the question. It's a yes or no question. And I asked him three different times. Um, he was calling me Matty Furs. Uh, he was questioning my manhood, uh, my intelligence. And so finally I said, you know, I, I guess, I guess we just can't really go there. You know, we can't really deal with this. Uh, I'll just, I'll say what it is because it is a damaging thing. And, and, uh, Jesus Christ was, came to earth to be everyone's Messiah. And, uh, the word Messiah means Christ. So it's not that I just took a shot at somebody without trying to give them an opportunity to, to explain or recant or, or, uh, rethink their, their view on something. Um, as far as Pastor Anderson, I was on vacation in 2013 down in Arizona, went to the Grand Canyon, and I had just uh, had heard about him that winter uh, because of the After the Tribulation video. And I uh, didn't know anything about him, but uh, saw a couple of YouTube snippets and then the, ordered the video. 
And I was excited because it's King James, it's Baptist, and it's post-trib. I've been studying the post-tribulation uh, for over 20 years. I've been studying the eschatology view and, and all this for over 20 years. And um, it's through my pastor in Rapid City, South Dakota. Pastor Wayne Williams was there. Uh, he just retired not too long ago. And uh, that's who I'm under the influence of, was my pastor growing up there. But anyhow, um, I went down on vacation. I met Pastor Anderson on a Wednesday night. I just shook his hand, told him I appreciate the, a video about eschatology from a King James Baptist perspective uh, had come out. I was just wanted to tell him I appreciate that and that I'm on the same track. I told him that I have a few different viewpoints as far as the Re Revelation series goes and all that, how that lines out. Uh, and then I said to him, you know, I don't think we're ever going to really solve this debate about pre-trib, post-trib until we, until we solve the question of who is Israel. And, uh, and then that's how we left it. And then a year later, the next summer, he called and said, would you like to be interviewed on this new documentary about Israel? And I said, sure. So I met with Paul Wittenberger and uh, answered the questions that they were asking. And that's how it came about. Now, I want to just say this. I'll just hold this up for the screen for a minute. Uh, people have forgotten what this meant. You mentioned it earlier, but people have forgotten what, what independent is supposed to be. And uh, just because I was in somebody's video doesn't mean I'm their puppet. It doesn't mean that, that they pull the strings. As I said, I've been studying this for over two decades. And uh, if, if God used Paul Wittenberger's talents of film to get the truth out and used a pastor in Arizona to get it published and produ produced, well, that's, that's fine. That doesn't mean that I agree with everything that those guys have ever done or said, nor do I have to. I'm not Pastor Anderson's boss. He's not mine. He doesn't speak for me. I don't speak for him. Uh, but however, because so many Baptists today are denominational in their head, they don't say it on paper, but in their head they are. They're, in, they're, they're within a, a capital letter I instead of a small I. They have a capital letter I, independent Baptist denomination. And depending on which school or camp that they are associated with, that's who they, they run with. And all of them together... Uh, have the same eschatology and dispensational viewpoints on things. So when you rattle the cage of the establishment and you go against the establishment, it, it, just, it just causes waves. So instead of arguing or talking about the issue or the doctrine, they point at the messenger instead of the message, and they try to attack the messenger. And I resent the idea of making this about personalities. There's only one personality we should be focusing on, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I wouldn't even put my name on my book. I would have used a pen name or a pseudonym if I could have, but I had to in order to make it realistic. But it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about any pastor anywhere. It's about Jesus Christ. That's who this is all about. Amen. That's good. I like how you said that too. And I like that. I, you know, I like the attitude too. You know, that's how it is with me. I, I don't want to own a subject. You know, I really don't. I, you know, I want to help promote truth and, that's I hate when people try to take a truth from the Bible, especially one where there's just tons of scripture to support it and to try to assign it to someone, you know, and everybody wants to give Pastor Anderson the post-trib doctrine and the anti-Zionist doctrine and all that. And it's like, you know, that's, uh, that's not fair. Um, you know, it's not like this is just like one little verse. There's lots of people over the years and you're an example of that too. I mean, for years you believe this, your pastor taught it to you, but they need, 
they need it to seem like this is just a Pastor Anderson thing. That way they can kind of focus on attacking him. And the last thing they need is other people standing out there, uh, you know, you know, proclaiming the same thing too. That's when it gets out of hand for them. And you know, there could be some Pat Baptist pastors out there that, that are really on the same page on a lot of this stuff that we're talking about tonight, but maybe they don't want to be connected to, to one of us. You know, one of the iconic people in, in the documentary or in this YouTube channel or whatever. Uh, I understand that, but you know, Baptist preachers have been, have been teaching and, and preaching on this from a different perspective for years. This is a book by Roland Rasmussen. I don't agree with a lot of this book, but I agree with the title. And I agree with the main points of a post-trib pre-wrath rapture. And Roland Rasmussen, he, he's, the, he's the, the father of Mark Rasmussen out there at West Coast Baptist College. Um, so there's more people involved than, than you might even think. But they just kind of keep it quiet because it's not the political correct wind. You're not going to start a Bible college or you're not going to fill up your dormitory if you already got a Bible college. If you start going against the political winds of the established uh, denomination of quote unquote independent Baptists. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so true. And th I think what's different now, because there have, there's been people in the past uh, that have written books and that have preached this stuff, but they didn't get asked to speak at the big conferences. They didn't get written up in the papers, but now we have a thing called the internet. And so it's a lot harder to stop. Uh, or it's a lot hard to stop the message. And, you know, and I, it's funny too, because I hear people, they always, uh, you know, Sam Gipp, he always bashes Pastor Anderson for using the internet. You know, the internet's always had, well, I never heard him bash Dennis Coral for using a newspaper. Uh, you know, even though that was the big thing at one time or Shelton Smith or John R. Rice, you know, and especially when Dennis Coral is, you know, featuring your sermons and that message, you know, internet's just, the new frontier on this stuff, you know, well, what, is, what is the internet? Isn't it kind of an independent media? I mean, I mean, there we go with that word again, independent. Uh, you know, it, it, establishment doesn't like when they lose control. They don't like it when, when what they've founded their whole uh, life dream on is getting shake, shaken around a little bit. And uh, I just think it's because we've gotten away from being independent. Um, I don't mean to, I don't mean to throw everybody under the bus with this, but how independent is the average Baptist missionary? I mean, really, how independent are they? Aren't they a little bit nervous about what their supporting churches are going to think if they take a public position on something? How about the pastor who does have a Bible college and he's trying to fill those dorms or keep the uh, bills paid and the staff paid? Um, I just wonder how independent some of these people are that we call independent Baptists. Um, and when we get away from the Bible, we do extra biblical things that are, that are man-made ideas. We either have to let them go eventually when we realize that they're the tail wagging the dog, or then we have to fight for them and defend them uh, tooth and nail. And I think that's what's happening right now. I, absolutely right. Yeah. And the answer is how independent? Dependent. I've, I've been calling them dependent Baptist instead of independent. And that is so true. But, you know, I wanted to mention too, you know, something that was interesting when I had talked to, when I had talked to you and you, I was glad when I heard you tell me about um, the fact that you had contacted Git before and gave him a chance because I remember when I first saw Marching to Zion, now please nobody throw tomatoes at me right now, but I actually used to be kind of a Sam Git fan 
Now, in my defense, I had only ever heard him preach at Brother Keith Gomez's church. And so he had never gotten into any of their crazy weird stuff there. And, you know, he was funny and, you know, he preaches good on certain things. And so uh, when I heard, when I watched Marching to Zion and I heard him saying that, I about fell over. I'm like, what in the world? And then you play that part about, they showed the part on there about John Hagee. And, I, and you know, I've noticed this for years and Baptist preachers will not agree with what I'm about to say. But Baptist preachers, they've been quoting John Hagee for years. They, they watched him, they listened to him, they picked up on some of his stuff. And, you know, we've all heard something preached somewhere and we've repeated it without looking it up. And I and when I heard Sam Gipp say that, I thought he did not mean that. He just, you know, got caught up in the moment. He heard that. You know, there's there's no way he actually believes that. And I thought, you know, that wasn't fair of them to use that clip. They should have confronted him first. And actually you did. And so and I think, you know, completely justified and putting it on the video scenes that you did contact him. So I was very glad to hear that. I think it just shows that you guys were being fair when you put that on the video. And so I, I want people to know that if you, if you think like I did that they were kind of being unfair with Gippen using that clip, they weren't, they gave him a chance. And you know what? I can verify that what he's saying is true. I didn't, haven't seen the emails, but I have seen firsthand uh, what Gip does when he is questioned. And I face-to-face -face tr tried having a nice, intelligent conversation with him, and he went off on me and called me names just like he did Pastor First. That's just how he handles disagreement. He does good when he's standing behind a pulpit and everyone's amen and I'm agreeing with him. But when he has face-to-face -face confrontation, he can't handle it. And, you know, and he's not the only one like that. You know, most people uh, aren't like that. And so uh, I, I wanted to make sure people understood that because I had said stuff, you know, way back when thinking, yeah, I don't think they were fair with Gip. Uh, well, actually they were. And so I apologize. But anyway, um, I wanted to uh, another another question just from reading the book, too, because, um, you know, you mentioned when you talked to Pastor Anderson that before we can settle this tribulation thing, we kind of have to get the uh, Israel thing straightened out and i uh, and i think along with that um is the whole dispensationalism thing if you know dispensationalism is why we're messed people are messed up on israel and it's why they're messed up on the rapture and it was interesting because i mean i i hate dispensationalism i i really do i get really aggravated by it and i try to be gracious but when i was reading the book i couldn't help but kind of read between the lines it appeared like you have a disgust for dispensationalism and Zionism, but yet you, I can tell also you're a very gracious individual. You're, you know, you're nice people. And it's like when you're talking about individuals, you know, you, you're kind of nice, but when you're talking about the doctrine, you feel like, you know, it sounded like you were ready to just, you know, tear somebody apart. You know, was I accurate in that, that you are, you despise the dispensationalism, but you're just a nice guy. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I just have a problem with people who, who don't want to be honest. I'm not saying I'm 100% honest. I don't think anybody is. But I love truth, and I don't care if someone's, if someone's mistaken or they're in error, but they have a heart that wants to know the truth, like an Apollos. Um, but, but when I see some of the deception, and, and I'm reading through stuff, and I'm realizing, man, there's stuff here 
that's absolute garbage. And I started reading about Schofield and himself and what a scoundrel the guy was. Um, and, and then I, I read this little pamphlet. I just found this, um, Why I Left Schofieldism by William E. Cox. It's only a couple dollars. And uh, I ordered some uh, after I read through it because I really got a lot out of it. He takes the King James Bible, William Cox did, and he goes through and he talks about how that he was saved in a Baptist church. He was, he was called or felt called to the ministry. And so he wanted to, as he says, dismantle everything he believed and put it back together. And he wanted to be able to show that he could prove it from the Bible since he was going to start teaching it. I think that's an honest thing for a teacher to do. You know, a lot of guys, I'm convinced, take their Bible college notes and just teach it and regurgitate it mm-hmm. without really taking the Bible and making sure that they know what they're talking about before they get up and teach and preach. But I appreciate Cox wanting to be honest about the scriptures. And he said, most of everything, I could put it back together. You know, salvation by grace, the virgin birth, things like that. Uh, but he said, he said, there were some things that I found that I, that I really believed because I was taught it. But it wasn't actually in the Bible. It was at the bottom of the page in the Schofield Notes. And so if you want to see some examples of that, I put a lot of it in my book. But this little booklet's where I get it from. And he also wrote another book, book as well. The sad part is, is that he thought, William Cox thought, that all Baptists were dispensational Schofieldites. And so he left the Baptist church and became a Presbyterian. And that's, that's really sad. And, and it, it, he, he left because he thought that all of them believed this. And um, I don't know if he's even still alive today, uh, but that's a shame. That's really a shame. And I've been contacted many times by people who've said, you know, wow, an honest pastor or, Pastor Furs, I didn't think anybody out there thought like this or, you know, any pastor would be willing to admit this in public or something like that. You know, I, I'll live and die by, by, by being honest. I, I do not like the idea of being, having a reputation of being dishonest and, and uh, with anybody. And I might have to say things I don't want to say, but, but I, I want to be honest with people. And so it grinds my teeth when I see dishonesty and deception going on uh, because, well, you're just not smart enough. You're not, you don't understand. You don't know the Greek or you, you've never been to Bible college. So just, just trust us type of thing. Um, and uh, that's, that shouldn't be. Absolutely. Yeah, that That's good. And, you know, and what I got in a lot of trouble, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a nice guy too. These interviews, I'm trying to get a conversation out there. I want people to, who disagree to listen and I try to be friendly, but I made a lot of people mad at me when I did the interview with Sluter. Um, I was supposed to be with Spencer Smith. We were going to have you know, a nice, friendly conversation. And the goal was for us to just, you know, uh, accurately represent what the other one believes. You know, we weren't going to have a debate. If it wasn't going to be a debate. When I did the announcement video, I said it's not going to be a debate. Um, and then he couldn't do it. He had Sluter do it. I had no idea who Sluter was. And so I told him the same thing. I was like, I don't want to have a debate. I want us to have a friendly conversation about this. I said, people out there need to hear a friendly, intelligent conversation that doesn't turn ugly and be a name calling thing. That's not what I want. And so I even sent him all my uh, talking points. Like, here's all my talking points. You know, here's, here's what I'm going to talk about. Here's my verses that I use. You know, I didn't want him to think I was setting him up because I wasn't. Well, it kind of turned into a little bit of debate, I guess. And, um, you know, and he's been going around, you know, acting like he schooled me in this debate, which we we're supposed to have, we were trying, I was trying to have a nice, intelligent conversation, but what ended up happening 
you know, I got a lot of mainstream Baptists mad at me because I used a Ruckmanite to represent the pre-trip position. And, and there's a lot of uh, mainstream fundamental Baptists who are pre-trib, pro-Jew, and they are not, you know, they, they don't believe in dispensational salvation. Sure. And, you know, they, they believe in some of it because they kind of need it. We'll talk about that in a second. But it was like they got mad at me for getting the village idiot to represent the town. And that was not my intent. That was not what I wanted to do. I am. I'm a, you know, I, I watched that interview. Um, I didn't think that Sluter came across as a village idiot. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not a Ruckmanite. I certainly don't appreciate uh, Ruckman uh, and some of the Ruckmanisms that are out there. Um, but, yeah, there's there's a lot of the guys you can interview, and maybe somebody maybe you can find somebody. I just hope it can it can remain civil. I mean, first time I ever contacted you was was because of these interviews, and I just said, "Hey, Pastor McMurtry, I really like this civil format, no name calling, just just asking each other questions, and hopefully coming to some conclusions and, and helping people find the truth." Yeah, um, you know that's what that's what I like about this. Yeah. Well, and, you know, in our conversation, I thought was pretty civil, too. There was a lot of people that got offended by it, even though, and he did, he represented um, our position well. It was mostly stuff after some of his videos he's made after that, where he's kind of, he's kind of changed his tune yeah, well, and see, uh, gone yeah, crazy I, on us. Yeah, I, look, I'm, I'm, the only hesitation I have about doing this tonight is I don't want to do any of that. I, yeah. I don't want to make a bunch of YouTube videos and and mudslinging and blah, blah, blah. I mean, come on. The Bible is the Bible. We already have one of those. Uh, let's just read it and study it. And and if we can learn from each other, great. Iron sharpens iron. Right. So yep. That's what it's about. Right. And so I guess in kind of where I was going with this too is, you know, I, the point I was trying to make with the Sluter interview, because like I said, it changed a few days before, is, you know, it, I feel like if you don't believe in dispensational salvation, which most Baptists do not, then I've, you know, with my understanding of dispensationalism, I don't see how you can be dispensational. And I always say people who don't believe in dispensational salvation are not dispensational. They just don't know it yet. And, you know, and is it, is it fair, I mean, to be too hard on dispensationalists who uh, don't believe in the dispensational salvation? I, I forgot who it was. You mentioned it in your book. I think it was MacArthur who talked yeah. about being yeah. dispensational because right. of Israel. You know, right. that's, that's, what we right. that, that's what I was going to say right now. John MacArthur said, when asked about dispensationalism, he said that really the main, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said the main reason why I'm a dispensationalist is because of Israel. And that's why, that's why this book exists, because that's, this is the thread that you pull and everything falls apart. Uh, it, it's it's not that dispensationalism really makes sense in every area. It's just that Israel is so important. It's the sacred cow. And so that's, I mean, that's from MacArthur, okay? Um, but there's others that I think that's what it's all about. That's why I said that back there in 2013 uh, to Pastor Anderson. I just, I just said, you're never really going to get this solved until you solve the question of who is Israel, because that's, that's what this is really all about. It's, I believe with all my heart, it was set up to promote and, pr and protect a physical group of people that are still rejecting Christ uh, and are causing great confusion uh, for these end time days. Um, but the idea of dispensationalism, well, there's hyper dispensationalism. And, uh, you know, I, I think hyper are, 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 you know, way out there. 
Um, and I don't know, I guess maybe Ruckman's cl classified in that group, but, but I'm, I'm not even really talking about hyper. I'm just talking about dispensationalists who have a, who have a twisted eschatology and view of Zionism that, that they really can't back up with scripture unless they've got other men's notes to go along with it. Uh, so, but you know what I even say in my book, I'm not against everything that dispensationalism teaches, uh, because a lot of it's straight, uh, but, but I don't need it. See, why, why go there? Why, why start my people and my church off, church off with it and then try to wean them off of it? Let's just forget it and, and let's just throw out the notes and keep the Bible. How about that? Amen. That's good. And, you know, and, um, you know, tell us a little bit about Schofield and his notes and why we should listen to him because, I heard about Schofield Bibles all my life. Like it was, you know, just the greatest commentary you can get. And I never, my first Schofield Bible I bought about five years ago and I used it for a short time and I, I, I never even really read much of the notes in it. And I had never heard anything negative about Schofield until I watched Marching Design. And Schofield, I mean, Schofield carries almost as much credibility in a lot of Baptist churches as King James does. And so tell us a little bit about why we should not listen to Scho or, you know, Schofield's notes. Well, probably the first negative thing I heard about Scho the Schofield Bible was the, um, uh, the gap theory. And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the gap theory that tries to accommodate evolution in Genesis. Uh, I really didn't know much about it either. I didn't. I do remember as a boy hearing more than once a pastor, a preacher, someone would say, "Turn in your Bibles," and of course, if you've got the right Bible, it's on page ten fifty six, you know. And and uh, but I do think people are have gotten away from Schofield Bible itself, the Schofield Reference Bible, and, and uh, they would say, "I think I'll, I've had friends tell me I'm not a Schofieldite." What are you talking about? Well, at this point, it doesn't matter if you own the Schofield Bible or not. You know, it doesn't matter if you actually bought one of these or not, if you use one of these. The problem is now is that is that it's in the schools. It's in the Bible college theology now. It's in the systematic theology. It's everywhere. It's on the radio. It's on TV. Like I said, Dallas Theological Seminary. You realize how many TV preachers and radio preachers have come out of Dallas Theological Seminary? And how many people listen to them over and over and over again? I mean, like David Jeremiah, all the way to J. Burnham McGee, all these guys. They're from the same cut from the same cloth. And so that's where this comes from. And uh, you don't necessarily have to have the Schofield Bible anymore to be twisted and warped in your viewpoint. You just have to have someone that taught you that that way. Well, if you just start out on the introduction of the Bible, it says here that Schofield chose, he says, Schofield chose to use the authorized version because it was the most popular version of the day. Not because necessarily he had a conviction about the Textus Receptus or the authorized version. As a matter of fact, it says here, this is what he says, uh, the discovery of the Sinaitic manuscripts and the labors in the field of textual criticism of such scholars as Griesbach, Lachman, Tischendorf, Trudelis, Weiner, Alford, and Westcott and Hort have cleared the Greek Textus Receptus of minor inaccuracies while confirming in a remarkable degree the general accuracy of the authorized version. So these King James guys that, you know, like I think Mr. Gibb uses a Schofield Bible. If they just read the introduction to the, to the notes of this Bible, I, I, I just don't understand how they can say they're King James only and then defend uh, what this man uh, says in the beginning of, of his own notes. Schofield himself was a shyster. He was a, a, a lawyer that was a crooked lawyer 
Uh, when he died, there was a Kansas City newspaper that basically posted a headline, you know, that, you know, the scoundrel is dead, something like that. And, you know, I mean, that in, in the public, in the paper, he, he was a he was a crooked politician, crooked lawyer. He abandoned his wife and his daughters. And somehow he had this conversion in a jail, supposedly, ended up in Texas, pastoring a congregational church in Dallas, Texas. And uh, finally, when his divorce was legal, legalized and final, uh, within a few months, he was married to another woman. And uh, he kept on pastoring the Congregational Church right there in Dallas, Texas. Eventually, he moved on to New England, became D.L. Moody's pastor, preached uh, D.L. Moody's funeral. Uh, but neither Moody or Schofield were Baptists. And it's not, that I, it's not that I reject everything those men ever did or said, but I really am suspicious of C.I. Schofield and have to wonder about some of the things uh, in his life and whether or not the man uh, was was true or if he was just a false prophet all, all along. Um, as far as questions in the Bible, here's one of the main ones that jumps out in his notes. You know, Jesus says, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, I'm looking at Matthew 25, verse 32, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then you drop down and look at the notes at the bottom of the page, and here's what it says. This judgment is to be distinguished from the judgment of the great white throne. Here there's no resurrection. The persons judged are living nations. No books are open. Three classes are present, sheep, goats, and brethren. Okay, let me read it again. He shall set the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. And Schofield says there's three classes present here, sheep, goats, and brethren. And, of course, what he's trying to do is he's trying to say there's sheep, the saved, there's goats, the unsaved, and then there's Jews, the brethren. Wow. That, that's, that's, I'm at that right now. I don't know if, uh, what's going on there. But, that, but yeah, that is just ridiculous. I don't understand how people can get away with just adding things like that in the scriptures and but they're doing it all the time and because and it does it seems like it's in Schofield notes so therefore it's okay and like you mentioned too that you know it's in the college textbooks and when you listen to most um you know end times teachings i mean it's it's not out of the bible it's straight out of college textbooks they don't use bible to define terms anymore it's stuff straight out of college textbooks i mean just, you know, for example, pretty much every, you know, pre-trib preacher teaches Revelation 4 is the rapture. Well, right. there's no way everybody is going to get that, you know, read about John, one person being caught up in the spirit into heaven, not bodily. And then that's the rapture of all, all believers. But yet everybody teaches that because it's in all the college textbooks sure. and they get away with it. And so, uh, but, you know, and so you talk about Schofield he clearly wasn't a King James guy. Uh, it's obvious too that he didn't believe a lot of the Bible just with his notes. And in fact, today, today you can buy the Schofield Bible in several different versions. Really, the notes uh, stay the, the notes stay the same, but the the text is negotiable. Okay, well the notes would probably fit better in some of these other versions, exactly. and that gets us to the next part here. Uh, uh, I was going to see if you had some examples with you, but um, in, in your book you cover how modern versions of the Bible have strategically changed words to help advance Zionism. And 
I tell you, that was so eye-opening to me because when I read the King James Bible and I see certain passages like, you know, Genesis chapter 12 and then how it relates with Galatians 3, um, it's very clear what those passages mean, but the way pastors are preaching them, the way they interpret it, it doesn't line up with the King James, but it lines up perfectly with these other versions. And so give us some examples of what modern versions have done to help advance this Zionist agenda. Well, the um, probably the biggest one would be the word seed. Um, in the book of Genesis, the word seed is used a lot. And the word seed is a very unique word. Uh, it can cover a lot of seeds, but it's still, it's still seed singular. And it's, it's an interesting study because you can have one seed, and yet that seed can literally represent many seeds because one seed planted and, and reproduced produces many seeds, but it's still called seed. And uh, Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 3, and Paul makes a big deal about one letter S. And Galatians 3 is one of those chapters that guys don't want to talk about, 3 and 4, but Paul makes a big deal about seed versus seeds and how that seed singular means a certain individual seed of Abraham, not all the plural seeds of Abraham. And um, you go back to Genesis chapter 12 in the Schofield Bible. It says, I'll read from the King James first. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless him that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So God is telling Abraham singular thee. That's why we, you know, we King James guys, we like the these and thous because they they distinctly separate from the ye or the you, the plural. And so God's talking to Abram about himself and blessing to Abram. But here at the notes in the bottom on page 20 of the Schofield Bible, the old version, the 1917, Schofield says, For Abraham and his descendants, it is evident that the Abrahamic covenant made a great change. They, plural, became distinctly the heirs, plural, of promise. God never said anything about heirs, plural, in that page, on that in that passage. He's talking about Abram, just Abram only. But Schofield helps us with the word descendants, just in case we thought singular. He wanted to help us with plural. Uh, and so he says descendants. Now, what's interesting is you pull out a New King James Bible, and you go to almost every, every verse in Genesis that talks about Abraham and his seed. And the New King James changes it to descendants, just like Mr. Schofield did. So you're reading Abraham and his descendants, and descendants, descendants, descendants. And uh, that's so wrong. And, and, and if they had just looked at what Paul said, he said, there's a reason it says seed and not seeds. And so when you change it to descendants, it's not saying the same thing as seed. And there's a reason for the word seed instead of descendants. And of course, we who believe the Bible should be untampered with should sit up and take notice. But the reason why it's happened is because we allowed notes in our quote-unquote King James Bible, and yet we didn't realize that we're adding to the Word of God when we do that. And unfortunately, the notes have 
seeped their way into the text. And so now you've got people who think, like you were asking me about the curse, you know, well, you, you are saying negative things about Abraham's descendants, plural. Uh, that, that's not what the text said at all. Bless them that bless thee, Abram, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee. And then later when it talks about his seed, well, Paul clarifies who that seed is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I say, and when I was when I was reading the book, uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but you know the the title. I want you to talk a little bit about the title, "Who is Israel," and this whole seed versus descendants thing. Because what Baptists do whenever they'll they'll read Genesis twelve one through three, where they do a big pro Israel bless the Jews message, and they will read it because they're reading from King James Bible. They will say seed. But then they will talk about the descendants. They will talk about they will talk about Jews, and just go all nuts over them. But then you point out a lot of things in this book. There's a lot of other places, you know, where it's talking about the seed, and it's so clear throughout the Bible that this seed it's talking about is Christ. And when I got to the last chapter, the whole "Who is Israel?" thing, I don't know. It just a bunch of stuff clicked, and I it just it really got me pumped reading it and obviously we don't have time to read the whole last chapter of this book but tell us a little bit about that title who is israel uh why you called it that and what that means well let me just say that and i'll preface what this this answer by saying it this way you know there's a lot of people out there that are that are also agreeing with us so far as far as saying that that Israel is not those physical people over there, and they can't even prove their DNA and, and their descendant from, from Abraham. And, and they would agree with that. However, some of them are like white supremacists or British Israelites, British Israelism or Armstrongism. Uh, they say that the white race, you know, the white-skinned people are really the descendants of Abraham. They're missing the whole point. Uh, and, and even the people who are proud of the fact that, that it is Christians who are of the sea, I'm not, I have nothing to brag about. I only have someone to brag about, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the reason why I can be counted as the seed, as it says in Galatians chapter 3, they that are in Christ, the same are the children of Abraham. Uh, the reason why I can be counted as the seed or as, as, as Israel, the spiritual Israel, is because Jesus, I believe with all my heart, Jesus is the original Israel. And so the title of my book, Who is Israel?, Underneath it says yesterday, today, and forever. Well, that comes straight out of the Bible in description of Christ. Jesus Christ, in my opinion, according to the verses I give in that chapter, he is the original Israel. He gave his name to Jacob. He was and always is God's firstborn. And uh, God said back in Exodus chapter 4, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Well, Jacob wasn't firstborn. He can't be talking about Jacob. But he's talking about Israel. He's talking about his son, the prince and uh, then in Isaiah 40, uh, 49, it talks about how that Israel will deliver, Jacob will deliver and be the light to the Gentiles as well. Um, and then, of course, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, there's, there's just verses that are coming off the top of my head. But that prophecy from Exodus chapter 4 was repeated in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, about out of Egypt have I called my son. And then Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1, refers to Jesus and how that when Jesus and Mary and Joseph came back from Egypt, 
It was a fulfillment of out of Egypt have I called my son. And you take that back to Exodus 4 where Hosea got it. And it's Israel. It's, it's Jesus Christ. And so I believe with all my heart that the real Israel is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so anyone who, who becomes a replacement, a, a secondary Israel, is a replacement of the true Israel. And that's what Antichrist is. Antichrist is not just being against something, being against Christ. The word anti means uh, instead of and against. And so what we're seeing today is, is we're seeing Baptist churches with Israeli flags on the stage. We're seeing Baptist uh, doctrine that it's getting really goofy to the point where we're worshiping a people that have called themselves Israel. Almost to the point of neglecting the true Israel. And uh, so I'm not arguing this because I want to be Israel and I'm jealous of these other people. No, I, I'm arguing it in my book because I believe Jesus Christ is the true Israel. Let me ask you this question. What is easier to do today in a public school? To go into the public school and to teach on the history of the Holocaust and the Jewish people, or to go into a public school and to teach on the history and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross? What is more free to do in this country? Oh, absolutely, the Holocaust. And I am glad you brought that up because uh, you make a great point about that in the book. And so, yeah, definitely the Holocaust would be the acceptable. Yeah, and, and, and we're just, you know, we're anti-Semites if we question anything that has to do with a Jewish person. Listen, I love people. I love all people. When I was in Israel, I was witnessing to Jews when I had the chance. I was leaving tracks, uh, made my bed, cleaned my room in my motel room, left a track with a dollar bill sticking out. I, I, you know, and it wasn't some ugly bashing track. It was just, you know, something like, who is the Messiah or something like that. It was just, look, I, I want all people to be saved. I'm supposed to preach the gospel to every creature. I do not have a hateful bone in my body. I am not trying to, to hurt or to damn or to gleefully talk negative about someone. But I raise questions about the physical Israel only to try to show my Baptist brethren how that we're supporting and we're defending uh, a physical group of people. And to the point now where we, we're even doing, uh, we're even agreeing to a foreign policy and, and getting involved in wrestling with flesh and blood. I thought the Bible said not to wrestle with flesh and blood. I had a friend email me several years ago, a bumper sticker picture of a bumper sticker where he says, the bumper sticker says, it's God's job to judge the terrorists. It's our job to arrange the meeting. <laughs> and that sounds tough. Hoorah, you know. Mm. And I just emailed back and said, I thought it was our mission to preach the gospel to every creature. Um, you know, I, I'm all for self-defense, but George Washington told us to stay out of foreign affairs. And, and what we're doing today is not defending the homeland. It's, it's fighting for a different cause and a new world order. And I don't want to get off on all that really tonight, but it's it's happening. And I believe in the in the end, physical Israel is going to continue to rise because my belief, according to uh, what you you'll read in my book, is that is that uh, the physical Israel, the unsaved Israel, the Christ rejecting Israel, is the whore of Babylon. And so I, I predict that physical Israel will continue to rise. It's just that I don't think it's a miracle of God. I just think it's a phenomenon that is being allowed to happen for prof prophecy to be fulfilled. Um, I want to talk about another old Baptist preacher 
this book here, according to Promise, uh, was produ produced by St Charles Spurgeon. But the full title of the book is, According to Promise, The Lord's Method of Dealing with His Chosen People. Now, guess what? He's not talking about Jews. He's talking about Christians. And he's saying that those who are in Christ are like Isaac, which is exactly what Paul said in Galatians 3 and 4 and Romans chapter number 9. They're an allegory. And, and then he refers to the Jews in John chapter 8, Spurgeon does, he refers to the Jews in John chapter 8 as being uh, Ishmaelites, as being children of, of the devil. You know, Jesus is the one that said, you, you say your father is Abraham, but the truth is your father is the devil. Well, you know what? You go back to Genesis chapter 3 and the prophecy in Genesis 3.15. Uh, God said to Adam and Eve, there's the seed of the serpent and there's the seed of the woman. And then you go to what John the Baptist said about a generation of vipers. Jesus called them a generation of vipers, a den of, a den of vipers. Um, and uh, it fits. He says in John chapter 8, you have your father, the devil. And uh, they didn't like him for that. You know, he claimed to be the I am in that chapter. and They tried to stone him. Uh, but it's it's not because Jesus didn't love them, and it's not because I don't love them. It's because you have to tell someone the truth if you love them. And he, he wept over them. He said in Matthew 23 at the end, you know, he wept over them and said, Oh, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, and you would not. Uh, and, and and so I, I, I have the same attitude towards the people of Israel, and being nice and petting them the right way is not the answer. All we're doing is puffing up their pride and encouraging them to continue to rebel against our Christ. Amen. Amen. I think, I think, I think I we're think doing we're as much, much to help Israel, Israel whatever we do, uh, you know, bless them like that. As much as, you know, I think we're accomplishing as much as we do when we build mosques for Muslims, you know. I think they just laugh at us. I don't think it does a bit of good at all. But, you know, and then uh, I wanted you to mention, too, because I, I, I probably won't explain it exactly right. But with the whole Holocaust, which a lot of people don't realize, it means, you know, a burnt offering. And you've got Israel, physical Israel, kind of, you know, stealing the name of Jesus, uh, you know, it, or the you know, name of God. Um, and then when it comes to the burnt offering, you mentioned in your book how, you know, Jesus, you know, he was our Passover lamb. One of the things they would do in the Passover, you know, they would burn everything that was left, um, which kind of another teaching that you cover at the end of your book that the dispensationalists absolutely hate is the whole idea of, you know, Jesus after being crucified, you know, burning in hell. Uh, explain that whole uh, thing, kind of how you covered that in your book about how Jesus Christ was the Holocaust or the burnt offering. Yeah, you know, um, when I first heard the idea that Jesus was in hell for three days uh, between his crucifixion and resurrection, of course, at first I thought, Oh, that's, that's ridiculous. But the more I started to study the Bible, I realized that he wasn't in heaven. Uh, he hadn't ascended. He told Mary that. Um, and that according to prophecy, as Jonah was in the whale, he would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Um, but then also you go back and you compare what the Bible says about Abraham in Genesis 22. He told Isaac, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. And how that the Passover was to be burned, roast with fire in the book of Exodus. When the Passover was instituted, it was roast with fire. 
And, and then, of course, the Bible says Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now, I don't want to make it any worse than it needs to sound, but I just believe that Jesus descended into hell, as the Bible says, Acts chapter 2, it quotes from Psalms. He descended into hell and led captivity captive uh, and, and, and uh, displayed and make it, made an open triumph over them. And, um, you know, Jesus did those things in those three day time, that three-day time period. That's all I know. It says in Revelation that he has feet that are like burnt uh, in bronze. Uh, and and I, don't, I don't understand all that, but I believe it because the other way doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit Scripture. The thing about the Holocaust is this. If you were to read burnt offering in Genesis chapter number 9, when, when Noah offers a burnt offering, that was the first time the word was used, burnt offering. The, the, the word is holocausto. I'm not saying it correctly, but French, Spanish, Italian, and Portuguese. If you read a Bible version in those languages, you would read that they offered a holocausto. And then again, Genesis chapter 22, Abraham uh, said God will provide himself a lamb for a holocausto. How, you know, however you say it. And I'm like, good night, that's the word. That's the word. And, uh, and so then I go to Israel, and I go to the Yad Vashem Museum. And, uh, and they got this, this building. And the tour guide tells us the building is built like to look like a, an altar of unhewn stone. And inside, of course, the whole museum is about the Holocaust. And inside, you are remembering in this, inside this altar of unhewn stone, you're remembering and worshiping the burnt offering. Now, they're not talking about Jesus. They're talking about, they're talking about a burnt offering that they hijacked and, and made for themselves. There's a reason why it's got to be called Holocaust. There's a reason why they've got to insist that many of the victims in World War II were burned or cremated. There's a reason why they've got to have that, because it's Holocausto, and it's replacing the true burnt offering, which is the Lamb of God. And so I'm seeing this anti-Christian thing going on here, this anti-Christ thing going on. And on top of that, he says, the, the tour guide says, every dignitary comes to this building and pays obeisance or pays homage to this building. Obama was there. Trump's already been there. Trump's already been in this building and already paid his obeisance to this, this altar of Holocausto. Folks, I, I just think it's very wicked. I mean, I, I just realized I stood outside and I, and I just stood there and I thought, good night. This is awful. This is a replacement of Jesus Christ. Mm, yeah. yeah. Well, well, and it's, it's the crazy, crazy thing about, about it. it. Uh, hang on, I keep going to echo whenever I, I start talking. But, um, yeah, the crazy thing about this is, you know, Baptists, you know, they're so sound on their doctrine. They got salvation right and all these things. And then it's like they go to Israel and they completely lose their minds. You know, they trust everything they say. And I went to Israel way back in 2000. Okay, I, I'm, I'm a dumb 19-year-old that, you know, I, I'm no theologian uh, by any means at this point. Yet, I remember we went to the Wailing Wall. And I remember we got to the Wailing Wall. And I remember seeing the Jews doing their little dance prayer thing that they do. And then I watched guys from our group, pastors, going over there. And they're laying their hands on the wall and intensely praying at the Wailing Wall. And I'm, I'm like, what in the world? And I, was I remember talking to my dad about it. I was like, you know, that was kind of weird. You know, why, what were they doing? And he's like, oh, you know, they, 
you know, people come there and they pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I'm like, we can do that anywhere. You know, why do we need a wall? I mean, it just, it really felt like the thing turned into an idol. And you would never see Baptists do anything like that anywhere else, anywhere else in the world. But when they go to Israel, they completely lose their mind. And I mean, have you, have you seen some of that? Did you see it when you were over there? Well, absolutely. See, as carnal people, we, we're suckered by what we see. But faith comes by hearing, uh, and hearing by the Word of God. But we get suckered by what we see. And I think that's what happened in 1948. We, uh, we see something, and it looks authentic, and we let our eyes control our thinking instead of what we know the Bible says. When I was over there, on one particular night, we went to what they call the traditional holy sites of the Orthodox Church and uh, the, the place of Christ's crucifixion, supposedly, uh, where the cross was and where they laid his body on this rock. And there was these people, these very sincere Orthodox, quote-unquote, Christians uh, who had flown in from Italy and just was there for the day. They were wiping these handkerchiefs on the rock that supposedly Jesus' body was on, and then they were going to fly back to Italy and, and lay the handkerchiefs on these, these sick people in the hospital and whatnot. And then there's all these there's all these pieces of paper of prayers that were written and, and, and dropped around the hole where supposedly the cross stood and all this sort of thing. And, and you know, I, I stood there and took pictures and I was sad. I can't speak Italian. I can't talk to these people. I can't speak their language. I was sad to see them venerate all these different, all these different objects. But, but you know what, honestly, they were respecting Jesus. They just had a completely misunderstanding of, of worshiping rocks and all this sort of thing. But one of the Baptist pastors next to me said, good grief, this is so ridiculous. This is just so, oh, this is so, so disgusting. And of course, he's referring to the fact that these are Orthodox Catholic people. The very next day, we went to the Wailing Wall. And let me just say, the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, is not part of the original temple. Jesus said every rock would be thrown down. Uh, the Wailing Wall is just part of the platform that the temple probably was on, but it's not part of the temple. Our tour guide told us that Shekinah glory, after the temple was destroyed, the Shekinah glory left the Holy of Holies and seeped down into the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall. And uh, that's the Talmudic uh, rabbi teaching that, that many Jews hold today. And so all these very orthodox uh, Jews are now standing at the Wailing Wall, bobbing, weaving, and doing their thing at the Wailing Wall, and stuffing prayer notes in the cracks of the Wailing Wall. Well, guess who was doing it too? The same pastors with their little round kippah on their head is now standing at the wall, praying at the wall, and they're not necessarily participating on all the other things that the Jews were doing, but they were standing there venerating and praying at the wall and putting little pieces of paper in the wall. And I, and I took some pictures. I tried to take pictures of them just from their backside. I didn't want to expose their face. I'm not, but I, I just couldn't help but think how hypocritical all this is. How the night before we can, we can put our finger at the Catholics who are so messed up. But then we turn around and, you know, they turn around and almost do the exact same thing. And uh, it's, it, it is, it, it is ridiculous. We certainly, you don't even have to go to Israel to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and one, one of the older pastors, a friend of my dad and I, uh, we were sitting in the Jewish quarter and, uh, we were eating and he said, boy, I sure am thankful to be an American. 
Because the truth is, America uh, has been the closest thing to a Christian nation the world's ever seen. Uh, Christ was honored in our land, uh, and um, that nation, that land over there, is is completely anti-Christ uh, in the general population. And I'm not just saying the Jews, but also the Arabs, but all of the different religions. There's huge a huge center for the Mormons have built. But, of course, they have a different Christ as well. And so it's a very anti-Christian uh, land. Yeah, uh, it, it's so true. And, you know, and back, I was, you know, I was pro-Jew, you know, back in those days. Uh, obviously not to the extreme a lot of people are, but even I was getting weirded out by some of this stuff. And uh, I've, I've always, thankfully, you know, I, I don't know if it was just the Holy Spirit dwelling in me or common sense or what, but, you know, a lot of this, you know, Jew worship stuff has always creeped me out. I've always been bothered by Israeli flags in church, even when I thought Israel's, you know, you know, the, the Jews are the chosen people. That always bothered me. People would wear the lapel pins with the American flag and Israeli flag. And I, I was at a meeting one time, they're giving those out. I didn't take one. And it wasn't even on my radar then that Jews weren't the chosen people. But people, Baptists do, they just completely lose their mind when it goes to this Jew worship stuff. I almost think a lot of it's white guilt. You know, it's just, you know, we've been accused of being racist so much. We got to prove we're not racist by, you know, kissing the feet of the Jews. And it's just annoying. But, you know, you mentioned Shekinah, uh, you know, going down and going into the wall. One thing I've noticed since Marching Design came out, I don't hear preachers anymore say Shekinah glory. Um, now, they used to say... Yeah, I think I think we got that one covered because that's yeah. still obvious. I mean, Shekinah is not in the Bible; it's not even in the Hebrew text that backs up the Old Testament. And and then when you when you discover what Shekinah really is, the feminine aspect of God and what that all means, and I write about that and how that Leonard Nimoy uh, threw out that Spock hand gesture uh, because he saw it in the synagogue in the worship of Shekinah, and it's it's pornographic. It's just it's it's wicked. And, uh, and yet I used to hear it, you used to hear it in Baptist churches all the time. Absolutely, all the time. And not only did I hear it all the time, whatever these guys would say Shekinah glory, they'd say Shekinah glory, kind of like John Hagee does. It's like, you know, nobody says glory that way. Just more proof to me, these guys are just listening to John Hagee. And, and you know what, it's, it's kind of like the evolutionists. We accuse them of always passing the buck to the, well, Professor so-and-so's got the missing link. Well, Professor so-and-so, he's the answer. But you know what, in, in certain theology issues like this, I think that, well, well, Dr. Gipps got the answer, or David Cloud's got the answer, or uh, this guy over here's got the answer. Surely we got somebody that's got the answer. Um, but I, I, think, I think the more you pull on that thread, the more things are unraveling. And you find out that, wait a minute, where did Shekinah come from? Who, who started that? Well, I don't know where it come from, but I hope, I hope we've at least resolved to stop worshiping and talking about something that's not biblical in church. Right. I think if you're going to hear Shekinah anywhere, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's some guy that's hiding under a rock somewhere. Cause I think, the, I think the words out on that, I, I'm, I'm thankful for that. That's a blessing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's, and you know, I'm telling you, you know, marching design, your book, people are paying attention on the other side. They, you know, because so many people are moving away from this, it's freaking them out and they want to know what it's all about. And they're, they're learning stuff. And while they're not totally accepting things yet, I listened to a preacher 
uh, the other day he was preaching and he's admitting there's two Israels. There's physical Israel, there's spiritual Israel. Amen. And so a lot of preachers are admitting that. I've never heard people preach that in the past, but they're doing it now. They're saying, you know, the Jews are wicked. They're admitting that they run Hollywood and the news media and all these things, that they run the banks. They get that. The word's out on those things, you know, thanks, thanks to people like you. But the one thing that they all keep going to, and, uh, you know, I, I put a challenge out there, you know, for them to, you know, address certain chapters. And there was one pastor in particular that did, and I almost felt bad because, I mean, it was just like watching somebody's mouth fall down the stairs. It was just so bad listening to try to explain Romans chapter 9. And, um, you know, that one of the forbidden passages in the Bible, you know, and, and he even dealt with Romans chapter 2. Um, and it was it was pretty painful to listen to, but their go-to, they keep going to. While, while they're getting a lot of stuff, they're figuring it out. You know, some of the really clear scriptures that they've had so bad wrong. That verse, all Israel shall be saved. That one right there, they are continuing to interpret that however they want. And so I know you've heard it because here's the way it goes. You know, and I have, I've had several preachers tell me this. I had one tell me this the other day. You know, I asked him if he was, you know, a dispensationalist. And he said, well, I don't believe in dispensational salvation, but I don't believe God's done with Israel. And, you know, God's not done with Israel. Turn to Romans chapter 11. You know, what do you tell these people when they do that? God's not done with Israel. All Israel shall be saved. Well, in the end, if there if there's a physical Israel, in the end, if they're not saved, will they be in heaven? No. So who will be in heaven? The saved. And I believe that Israel is the saved. And so short answer, all Israel shall be saved because all the saved are Israel. That's the short answer. To give you a little bit longer answer, Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, that's all in the same context. You have to read it together, 8, 9, 10, 11. Uh, but you get to chapter nine and it talks about uh, how that Paul is is quoting uh, from Hosea and he says even us whom he hath called not of the Jews only but also of the Gentiles now one of the big mistakes I think that people forget about they make is that when Jesus came on the scene it wasn't 12 tribes the Jews did not make up the 12 tribes they were the southern tribe southern kingdom and the northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah. And that gets confusing. But when Paul's talking in Romans chapter 9, he's quoting from Hosea, and Hosea is talking about how that there were two different daughters. One was the northern kingdom, the ten lost tribes, and one was the southern kingdom. And so Paul is saying Jews, the southern kingdom, and Gentiles, northern kingdom. See, see northern kingdom assimilated. It went into the world. And they became Gentiles. This is what made the Jews so proud of themselves. We, we see how they treated the Samaritans. And so these people, they might have still kept the religion and the practice, but they assimilated. They, they had no choice. They, they intermarried. It just happened. And so Paul is saying, how does God keep his promise to Abraham and David? How does this still keep, how does he keep his promise? Well, God is able to work out anything, as we know. He's He's the one that can work out the impossible. And so he's talking about how that they can be grafted back in. And so all Israel shall be saved. They'll, 
the, the two branches will become one, as Ezekiel 37 talks about. Two will be one again. It talks about that in the New Testament, how the two will become one. And so, you know, I, I, uh, Jesus said, abide in me as a branch cannot bear fruit unless it abide in the vine. And uh, if you don't abide in him, you're going to be cut off and thrown into the fire. And so it's when we get away from the Lord Jesus Christ, that's when the branches become burned and destroyed. Now, I don't think that John chapter 15 is teaching that you can lose your salvation. I think John 15 is directed to the Jewish people who have the right root system through Abraham and through the, the oracles that were given and the advantages they had. But if they stop abiding in the vine, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, they're in trouble. Isaiah chapter 5 says that Israel was a vineyard and Judah was a pleasant plant. In other words, tying in with the idea of vineyard and vine, but they become a degenerate vine, a degenerate plant, because they stopped abiding in the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as far as all Israel shall be saved, I just see God miraculously tying in old branches back into the vine if they are born again, if they're saved. And so all Israel shall be saved. And, and like Marching to Zion and other documentaries now that you can find on the Internet, even some that are made by people that are not Bible believers, they show how the DNA of mankind is pretty much universal. It's just our blood types. You know, the Bible says in Acts, he's made of one blood and uh, all nations. And so I, I just think, you know, Abraham had several wives. Solomon had a thousand wives. David had several wives. How can we prove uh, where all those descendants went? And the DNA, I just think at the end, God in Revelation is going to show that there will be 12 tribes represented, 144,000. And then there's going to be a multitude that no man can number. And it's all good. And all Israel shall be saved. All Israel shall be saved. Because in the end, as I, as I said earlier, the only thing that really is real is the spiritual. There is no physical in the end. They melt away. They die off. They go to hell. It's the spiritual that's the real. And so in the end, all Israel shall be saved. It has to be all the saved. Otherwise, you have predestination. And that's what these guys are teaching. They're saying that, that physical people are going to be predestined to all just get saved in a day. This is so horrible, and this is so damning. Because this, this gives the attitude, well, then we don't really need to strive to witness to them or reach them with the gospel. We can just be nice to them and pet them the right way and, and uh, you know, they're, they're going to get saved anyhow. Uh, I, I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe in that predestination junk. Uh, I believe that every man chooses Christ or they don't. And Jesus said to a very religious Pharisee, a Jew, you must be born again. Uh, no pedigree, no physical pedigree is good enough. Flesh and blood do not inherit the kingdom of God. I am on. That is exactly what I preached on Sunday. I'm glad you mentioned John 15. I'm preaching on that on Wednesday. I'm going through the book of John, and I and I absolutely agree with what you were saying about uh, John 15 in comparison there with Romans 11. Absolutely agree with you on that. But um, but yeah, you know, you do you have to believe in a predestination, and this is why you you almost have to believe, I think, in a dispensational salvation. If if you're gonna you know believe that all Israel shall be saved, means they're all just gonna get saved someday. I had never heard anyone say that 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 meant that when Jesus returns at Armageddon, they're all going to see him and they're just all going to get saved. But you've got it on your YouTube channel. Bill Grady saying that I had listened to that message 
and he called me trying to sell me this um, right after right after I listened to that message. And I asked him about that, and you know, and he he kind of you know hem hawed around. I was like, you you think that all of the Jews are just going to get saved? I mean, that that would mean there's no faith involved if they have to see Christ, you know, returning first. You know, it would be a salvation without faith. And he keep kept talking to me about you know this other covenant. You know, this is my covenant. Like, there's another covenant coming. Not realizing that's quoting something from the Old Testament. That covenant happened. It was the blood of Christ. But they, these guys, and one of the uh, one fellow I was listening to, he never mentioned the book by name, but I know he'd been reading this book, and he was talking about how you know the dispensationalists take some things too far. But in the end, when he finally got to the Romans chapter eleven, all Israel shall be saved, he went with Bill Grady's interpretation of that, which was just absolute heresy to think that a group of people, just because of their bloodline, are going to get saved. When, as you mentioned. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He said, and th this guy that I was listening to, and I, all the dispensationalists say it, they're all talking about this, you know, physical kingdom that's for the physical nation of Israel. But flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And that's why I really think, you know, we need to keep chipping away at this dispensationalism junk because it is exposing, you know, just how false the Zionist teaching is. And well, I yeah. just, go ahead. Yeah. Bill Grady, Bill Grady, you know, that whole little 20 minute or 20 second clip, he says something like, even if they like it or not, all yeah. Israel, you know, and they're just programmed. Well, that's just absolute, I don't even know what to call it. It's just wrong. But Paul says he was the Hebrew of the Hebrews, you know, of the tribe of Benjamin. That means Southern Kingdom. He's a Jew. Uh, Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law, Pharisees. As far as circumcision and, and the flesh, the confidence of the flesh, I can brag more than anybody can concerning zeal. And yet he says, I count it all as dumb that I may win Christ. He was born again. And born again means let go of your pedigree. Mm -hmm. Let go of the pride of your flesh. You know, the Bible, the Bible clearly says, don't pay attention to endless genealogies. The last genealogy in the Bible is the seed, Jesus. That's the last genealogy we need to see. And this, this idea of paying attention to endless genealogies uh, and, and pride of who you are. I'll tell you something kind of goofy. I, when I was there in Israel, I asked this old guy that moved there from Cleveland, Ohio, changed his name. And, uh, you know, he's, he's just an old redneck living in Israel, and he claims to be a Jew. And so I asked him, I said, have you ever traced your lineage back to Abraham? And he kind of looked down at the ground and said, no. He said, I've tried, but I just couldn't do it. Uh, he said, you know, it, I don't think anybody can, really. He said, for all we know, you could be a Jew. And so then I walked over to our tour guide. I asked him the same question. He said, same answer. No, nobody can really trace that. And I didn't ask them because I didn't want to start a big argument that wasn't going to get anywhere. But, but I would ask it this way, rhetorically. So then what makes it your land? Good question. Great question. <laughs> And yet, that is what, you know, the Republican Baptists, as I like to call them, you know, they're all, we got to support Fox, Israel. Fox News Baptists. Yeah, Fox, Fox News, Republican Baptists, we got to support Israel, we got to stand with Israel, we got to, you know, bomb all the Muslims, and that's how they get us to get on board with every stupid war that they want to start, that it's all for Israel. 
And I'm telling you, it, and I, we don't have time to get into it, but man, in, in your book, you do a great job of just covering a lot of the political stuff that's involved there. And uh, there, there, there's a lot of things we didn't get to there. I mean, there is so much good stuff in that book, but um, I want to make sure we have time to do this. I want to give folks a chance to ask some questions uh, to you about maybe some things that we haven't covered. But I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, there is there is so much good information in that book. And uh, you're going to get, I'm telling you, you're going to get fired up when you're reading it because it's just, you know, just it really reveals how ridiculous a lot of this stuff is. And I tell you, it'll make you ashamed to be Republican. And so, uh, and, and we should be ashamed of that. I, I refuse to associate myself with that. But I want you right now, those of you that are watching, this is your chance to ask Pastor First some questions. All right. Well, um, we've got, uh, we're going to do some giveaways. So we're going to do that at the very end. But I want you to, if you have anything specific that we didn't, uh, that we didn't cover, this is your chance to ask some of those things. But while there, I'm waiting for some questions to come in. If I skip your question, put it on there again because the chat goes rolling by and I might miss it. But um, tell us a little bit, you talk about in your book, this whole Judeo-Christian thing. I hear that said in church all the time, and I would like to see that go away with Shekinah, this whole Judeo-Christian thing. Well, yeah, I cover a chapter on Judeo-Christian, just the, the oxymoron that it is. People, people innocently, innocently think that Judeo means the Old Testament, Christian means the New Testament. That's not what it is at all. Um, Judeo is something outside of the Old Testament. Most of your Jews today aren't observing the Old Testament. They're observing the Talmud. They're observing a lot of oral traditions that have now been written down. Jesus warned them about the oral traditions. Uh, and so Judeo is just Jewish. And uh, when you start looking into some of the stuff they do and believe and think, uh, it, it doesn't belong together. I, 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 quote, I mentioned this in the book, but you know, in the book of Acts, the Jews were hounding the apostles. They were stoning them and chasing them from town to town. Uh, Paul was stoned to death or almost to death, however you want to look at it, by Jews who were just jealous and angry at what he was preaching about Jesus Christ. I don't think for one minute that Paul was preaching a Judeo-Christian message. I, I absolutely agree with you. Somebody asked on here uh, if you have had any run-ins with the pre-trib mafia, as we like to call them. I mean, have you? Uh, we know Sam Gipp tried to, you know, nail you, even though he was afraid to say your name. But have you have you had any major attacks come your way over your position? You know what? I fly under the radar. I live in a town that has three stoplights total. Uh, I don't have a YouTube, uh, you know sermon channel uh i'm not i'm not out there trying to stir up stuff uh i i my number one priority is my family and then of course my church family so no i've not had and i think part of it is if, if you can be kind and 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 gentlemanly uh you know a soft answer does turn away wrath um and and so unless someone has a real problem with my book as far as heresy uh, I don't think anyone's going to really contact me about it. They're just going to shrug their shoulders and hope that it goes away. Uh, I don't care if my book keeps getting promoted, but I hope that the idea and the teaching uh, gets to be taught out there. Uh, surely someone will improve on my book. 
I, I just took what Pastor Williams taught me and put it down. Uh, and uh, no, but I haven't faced any real problems. Okay. Um, somebody else asked, you know, do you often get missionaries or pastors asking to preach at your church that have no idea about your stance on Zionism? And and will you have, you know, would you have anybody, you know, preach for you that, you know, follow Zionism? Great. I'm glad that question was asked. Listen, we support 30 missionaries and none of them have been asked by me to to declare their eschatology. As long as they're preaching the gospel to every creature, as long as they're winning souls and they're starting churches, I, I, this is not a separation issue for me as far as that goes. Uh, and besides all that, I just figured time, it took time for me. When I first heard some, some of this stuff, I, I didn't just jump ship. I, I, I had to see it for myself. I, I would think that the missionaries that we support out of respect are maybe quietly, maybe they got the ebook without ordering it, a copy from me and they're just reading it. Maybe they're chewing on it. Um, maybe they don't want anything to do with it. And they're just being quiet and hope, hoping that it never comes up. Uh, I have no problem with a missionary who has a disagreement with me on eschatology. Uh, as long as he doesn't come to my church and, and then disrespect me as the pastor. And I don't think they would. And as long as he's not out there openly, you know, dis, dis, disrespecting or, 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 blatantly doing some odd stuff and I just don't see that happening. Um, when I first took the church here as the pastor 14 years ago, um, a lot of our missionaries had a Ruckman flavor. Um, they were of a Ruckman background. That's because the former pastor here was a Ruckman. He liked Ruckman. And, um, and so I would ask them questions and send them questionnaires about stuff. And I didn't drop all them just because they had a different viewpoint of things with me. But you know what's interesting? Every one of them eventually just bombed out. I mean, they did. They just bombed out from the scriptures themselves. And so um, I, I suppose in, in one way, there's a lot of guys that aren't calling, which is okay. I get enough phone calls from missionaries. Mm. But on the other hand, I don't check them at the door uh, because I don't – you asked about pre-trib mafia. I don't consider all this to be a separation issue the way they consider it to be a separation issue. I've had missionaries tell me we can't come to your church because you don't agree with our eschatology. Well, that's fine. I mean, you know, God bless you, you know. Uh, then later on, a year later, they, they came anyway. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I just graciously let them come in. I want them to see that Mountain View Baptist Church is, is a God-blessed place and that people are really happy to be here. And I also want Mountain View Baptist Church, the people of Mountain View Baptist Church, I want them to see that I'm not afraid of the other side because I figure truth is not afraid of an examination. So let's say we have a guy come in and he doesn't know anything about this. Probably that's going to be hard now. But a few years ago it happened. We had some guys come in. They didn't have a clue where I stood on things. Some of them would preach on dispensational. One of them held up the Schofield Bible and said, I give my converts every copy, you know, every one of my converts get a copy of this Bible right here. Well, he didn't do himself any favors when he said that because all our folks know better than to go that route. But, but you know what? I'm okay with all that. You know why? Because it, it lets my people know that I'm, I'm not insecure and I'm not afraid for them to see the other side. Uh, and I also would hope that some of these guys would see that you know, not all of the post-tribbers are hate mongers or hateful. You know what I mean? I want them to see that, you know what, we still can be loving and kind. And those guys out there that, I, that we are currently supporting, they know that we support them because they're preaching the gospel. That's why we support them. 
And maybe if they're watching tonight, they need to understand that I'm not going to hold them to this position. And the truth is, Mountain View Baptist Church, it's not even part of our constitution or bylaws. You don't have to agree with this particular eschatology that Pastor Matt first has to be a member. Now, obviously, you're going to hear it taught all the time, but I think if it's taught right, it's not going to be a big deal either. I've also noticed that the only time it ever is a big deal is Christians who've heard it the other way first. Mm. The newly saved don't have a problem with this at all. It doesn't bother them at all. They don't even get what the big deal is. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a big deal with preachers and the old ladies who've been sending their money to Israel. Uh, they're, they're the ones that have a problem with it. And yeah. I agree, too, with, with missionaries, guest speakers. Yeah, I don't question them on that stuff. I like to let people know where I'm at because I don't want them to, if they don't know where I'm at, I don't want them to you know, do something to get embarrassed, you know, because they preached some, something different or said something different. Now, the only in, when it comes to Zionism, the only one I would probably not support just because they were Zionism is if they were like a missionary to the Jews. Because then it's like, you know what? Good luck reaching those people with a Zionist well, mentality. I, if, if we can find someone that, that wants to preach to the Jews and minister to the Jews in Israel or wherever, then I'm going to have to ask them, hey, what are you going to do? Are you just going to do humanitarian aid? You know, are you just going to pat them on the head? Or are you going to preach Christ to them? Mm -hmm. And if they're willing to preach Christ, uh, maybe to their own detriment, I'll support them. You know, I'm, and I would love if God would call me to the Middle East, I'd go, uh, whether it was Jew or uh, a Muslim country, I'd go. And, and I, I, I love uh, reaching people with the gospel, no matter where they are. I witnessed to a young man on a bus off of the street, Ben Huda Street, there in downtown Jerusalem. And uh, his name was Matthias. And I still remember his name. I still think about him from time to time. Gave him a track to read after talking to him. I don't know, you know, I don't, I, I think it's, it's few and far between because of the blindness, because of the, uh, the satanic blindness of, of these people. But our, our heart's desire is that they are saved. Amen. Amen. That's good. Um, another question somebody asked, too, in this, you know, uh, the way they put it is, you know, what do you think is the, uh, I went away, but the linchpin of dispensationalism? If we're going to change things on that, you know, what, what do you recommend, you know, as, uh, you know, to me as a pastor, to other pastors out there, to individuals who have friends that are dispensational, you know, you know, what do we need to go for? What is their Achilles heel? Well, first of all, if you're in a church, please don't try to straighten out your pastor. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, pastor, have you ever looked at this or have you ever read this? But, well, I tell you what, be careful. Uh, nobody on the Internet is more important than your own pastor. And don't hold other people's opinion over your pastor. Um, how, are, how are people going to change if we can't graciously teach them? You know, there's some Apollos's out there that are good men, but they just don't know maybe everything that you might know. And the truth is, you don't know everything they know. So be careful. Now, if it's becoming obvious that they're resistant and they're angry and whatever, you might have to get out. You know, uh, that might happen. But uh, like I said, this little booklet, uh, if, if, you, if you got someone that's King James respecting, and they respect the King James Bible, you know, this little booklet will take you right through the Schofield Bible and show you the errors. And then you realize that's not just Schofield, it's dispensationalism in general. 
Um, but as I said before, as, as John MacArthur said, he said the main reason, really the only reason that he's dispensational is because of Israel. He, he is totally against the idea that Israel could be the church, and so he's got to be dispensational in order, in order for that to stay. So I think the linchpin is why I wrote this book, Who is Israel? I think it's the thread. It's what pulls and unravels everything else. I guess that makes sense. I guess I always kind of thought it was dispensationalism we needed to kill, but yeah, it does appear that dispensationalism is there so they can hang on to Israel. And so, yeah, I think that's uh that makes a lot of sense. But um, so yeah, something I just thought of, somebody had sent this to me and, you know, we've been talking about how Baptists kind of lose their mind when it comes to Israel and, you know, and everybody knows about uh, what Sam Gipp taught about Jesus was supposed to be named Emmanuel, not Jesus. You know, um, you know, you've got Bill Grady with uh, Israel's just all going to get saved, whether they like it or not. When Jesus returns at Armageddon, um, I had a thing sent to me about, a, I'm not going to take time to read the whole thing. Pastor Major preached a whole message on it. It was really good. But, you know, they're actually teaching people in churches that if, when you're going to witness to a Jew, they're telling them, you know, basically don't give them the gospel because if you do and then they don't get saved, well, when the rapture comes, they're going to get the strong delusion and they'll end up believing a lie. And you're basically, you are having a part in damning them to hell if you give them the gospel. And I mean, have you heard, I mean, so, you know, these are just some of the crazy things I've been hearing from well-respected fundamental Baptist preachers. You know, have you heard any things like that? Just crazy stuff people are getting into? Well, that's what John Hagee was saying years ago, that his ministry, KUFI, Christians United for Israel, is all about not trying to proselyte the Jews. He, John Hagee said, it's not our goal to try to convert a Jew and get him to join the Baptist church. Uh, we're not trying to convert Jews. Well, then he doesn't even have a ministry. That's not a ministry. The, the, the Bible says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And it says to the Jew first to preach them the gospel, not hold it back from them. Um, the Apostle Paul, Peter, James, John, these, these guys that were persecuted, they were persecuted for preaching the gospel. And uh, if you don't want to get persecuted, then just have a humanitarian aid ministry and just pat them on the head and tell them how almost good they already are. But you're lying to them, and you very well could be damning them to hell, and shame on you for doing such. Uh, John Hagee's in big trouble. If the man is saved, he's in big trouble with, with God. And, of course, if he's not saved, uh, he's on his way to hell. Uh, but I, I, just, I just think that John Hagee's stuff is now creeping into our local independent Baptist circles. Um, and we're starting to talk like that. Um, the fact is, is that we need to preach the gospel. Now we don't need to be ugly. I, I mentioned that the people I witnessed to on my trip, I was even told by the head of the tour that, we're not, that we're, we shouldn't be trying to do that. We shouldn't try to witness to them. We shouldn't give them tracks or witness to them. Well, I'd already paid my deposit and I'd already bought my plane ticket before he told us that. And I had already decided, the Bible says go into all the world and preach the gospel of every creature. I'm not going to make waves. I'm not going to stir up trouble. But I'm going to make sure that I'm giving the gospel out while I'm there. Shame on me if I didn't. Um, and, and so I think it's wrong to say, 
let's go over to the Holy Land and take a bunch of pictures, but not talk to people about their need for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one, one Christian man in a place called Bethany Bible College, which is outside of, or Bethlehem Bible College, it's in Bethlehem, just outside the wall on the Palestinian side. He said, you know, we've got millions of these quote unquote Christian tourists that come over here and take pictures of these stones, but nobody bothers to visit the living stones that are trying to win people to the Lord and preach the gospel. Um, there's a guy named Alex Awad. I don't know much about him, but he was the pastor of the East Jerusalem Baptist Church on the Palestinian side. He's an Arab. And uh, he he got a copy of my book. He, he called me and, and thanked me for it. But there are some Christians over there, but they're persecuted. Unfortunately, they're on outside Jerusalem. They're more Palestinian Christians than, than Israeli, I'm afraid, or Jewish Christians, for sure. Well, yeah, and it's like we're not interested in helping the Christians in Jerusalem because, or in Israel because that's the Jews' territory, and that's that's pretty sad attitude. But uh, this is a, I think this is a tough question. This is actually something I'm going to see if you got any insight on this. It's, I've actually been working on this, but I'm not ready to give an answer. But um, people asking, why are some of the tribes not mentioned in Revelation seven with 144,000? I think Ephraim and Dan are not mentioned. Uh, do you have any uh, strong opinions on that? One of the other guys, you were asking about dispensationalism in Schofield. I think the, I forgot to mention this earlier, but I think this, the main source or the, the go-to guy for Schofield is a guy named David Lutzweiler. He used to be a dispensationalist, uh, but he crossed over. I don't, I don't think he was a Baptist. He, he passed away a few years ago. Uh, he wrote a book uh, uh, about Schofield. I'm trying to think of the title right now. Um, uh, in Praise of Folly, I think is the title of the book. But anyhow, uh, he also, his wife sent me um, some of his essays. And uh, he, he talks about, about those tribes in Revelation. And I, I, I haven't poured through it. I haven't really read everything that he had to say there. But he's basically, from what I can skim over, he's saying that that's just an obvious sign that it's spiritual, not physical. Um, and, you know, I just know that that God will keep his promise to Abraham and all 12 tribes will be represented because God will keep his promise to Abraham. But I also have a very different view on revelation anyway, and that's hopefully going to be book number two, if I ever get it done. Uh, and so I'm not going to say too much about it right now. Okay. Uh, but I just trust God to work out those details and explain it to us when we get there. You know, I mean, obviously Joseph was split in two with Ephraim and Manasseh. And so, you know, there's, there's things about it. We'll just trust God to, Help us figure it out when we get when when we get there. Okay. What was the name of that guy that wrote that book? David Lutzweiler. Lutzweiler. Do you know how to spell that? L U T Z Y E I L L E R. On my website, you, there's a there's a link to David Lutzweiler, okay. um, and uh, in my book, of course, I talk about him. Uh, there is a web page with him on there. Uh, you can find his book on Amazon also. Uh, but yeah, David Lutzweiler, I think he was a, he was a close friend of A.W. Tozer. And, uh, you know, he was, a, he was a somebody, uh, he might've been a covenant theologian and I'm not a covenant theologian, uh, but he's a somebody, if you want to read about Schofield, I, I don't know if there's anybody that's wrote, written more detail than, than he has. Okay. All right. Well, um, I think we're going to hold off the questions for now. I want to, I want to give away a few books and, 
Uh, I appreciate everybody listening. You know, the, I know the chat's always a lot of fun. Uh, but listen, I'm tell one of the, everybody needs to go. I got a link to uh, whoisisrael.org. You need to go buy one of these books. I want a lot of people to buy these books. If a ton of people buy them, it's going to make me look like a big shot, and I got a lot of pull, and I'll impress Pastor First with that. So uh, buy buy the books, and then also too, uh, when he sent me the book, he, he had um, sent me a CD, The Country Parson. Very good singer too. I hate preachers that are good preachers and good singers. And so, um, but I'll tell you about me, you've never heard me preach, so maybe I'm. That's just... true. Yeah, it's true. I'm assuming you, you're you're right. Good enough. I'm assuming you probably preach good too. I guess. But yeah, so I, uh, but um, yeah, great great CD. Uh, some great songs. Great singer. But um, so make sure you go. You know, order those things. You can get the book on Kindle and everything. So listen, what I want to do, I want to send these books to some pastors that's what I'm wanting to do and listen we don't want to cast our pearls before swine you know if you get this um, if you win you can tell me the pastor to send it to all right and don't don't pick Sam Gipp or somebody like that I would prefer you know either your pastor or someone that you believe is a gracious individual that you believe would, I guess, give this a chance. There's some guys that are too invested in this or too stubborn. They got, there's money involved. They're never going to change. There are some people that, and so uh, if you, I'm going to ask a few questions and this is just going to be about speed. These questions aren't real hard. I'm going to ask a few questions and what did I do here? There. And if you get these, whoever it is, get, I'm going to write down your, YouTube name, but I'm going to, you're going to have to email me and um, tell me what uh, the name of the church and the pastor, because I'm just going to, I'll send it to the church, but, um, and I won't put your name on it. Some of you, you might, you, maybe you would love your pastor to get this book, but you don't, uh, you know, you don't want to be the one to give it to him. You don't want to cause trouble. It's amazing how many people are sitting in churches who agree with us on end times and on the Jews, and they are they're silent in their church about it. Cause like you said, you know, don't go causing trouble. And I, I agree with that, but yet they're praying for their pastor to, you know, see the light. And I really think this book could help, you know, pastor first is a, he's a good guy. He's a gracious guy. People like him, uh, good reputation. And so, um, I'm going to ask a few questions. I'm well, all I'm going to do, I'm going to start reading a verse and all you have to do is type in, the reference. These are verses that y'all need to know. And so whoever types it in first, you get to tell me the pastor to send it to. And I will order it tonight and I will I will send it to whoever you say. So here we go. I'm going to start reading the reference and then you uh you or I'm going to tell you the verse, you type in the reference. So here it goes. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. And I'll read the next one. You just have to do the first verse. But but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit. And not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. You know, type it in the chat. And then if you do, uh, you got to have the verse too. I see the chapter. I see chapter. I got to have chapter and verse if you're going to win. So chapter and verse, just the first one, for he is not a Jew. Which and we got it, Liz Salome. However you say that, you get the first. You get to tell me which pass that gets sent to. So I have that written down. 
And then let's do another one here. Oh, now it's all coming up. Uh, here we go. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. See if any of y'all know that one. First one that types it in, they get to pick the next one. I thought about sending this to the individuals, but I thought, no, I want to, I really want to get these in the hands of pastors. It's, it's just so good. And all oh, you were close. Uh, man of Christ was really close. Nobody's got it yet. Everybody's, oh, there we go. We got it. Justin Zong got it. And let me write that down so I don't forget. All right. And then I'm putting you on the spot here, Pastor First, but do you have any like uh, trivia question or anything that you would like to ask? If anybody knows it, then uh, we'll send them a book to you. I'm going to do one more. Yeah. Uh, tell me the chapter and verse for the word allegory. Oh, that's a good one. That is a great chapter, too. The chapter and verse where it uses the word allegory. I could tell you uh, the chapter, but I can't tell you the verse on that one. These are things we all need to know, people, because pastors, I'm telling you, do you can you see the live chat where you're at? Because I don't, I don't know what it is off the top of my head. All right, well, I'll tell you what the guesses are as they come up. But, yeah, and I know y'all are cheating out there and using it. All right, we got Galatians 424. Yep. Is that it? That's it. That's it. Oh, man. Man of Christ 101 was right like a split second after Galatians 420 or uh, Alexander Berea. So Alexander Berea, you got the third one. But all right, well, that's all I'm going to do for uh, the free giveaway. So listen, all th Liz Saloon, Justin Zong, Alexander Berea. Just go to L uh, email me at lbcofrockfalls at gmail.com and uh, just give me the name of the church and the name of the pastor and and i will send you or i will send your pastor a copy of that of who is israel and it doesn't have to be your pastor if it's your pastor that's fine or if it's just one that you think hey this is a guy that we need to get on our side this is somebody that be open-minded uh you know and an open bible he would actually read this and maybe come around and so i thought that might be a good way to uh sell a few more of pastor first's books and maybe get them in the hands of some people that could really help. So I appreciate you all participating on that. So Pastor First, any final words, any uh, final uh, thoughts or wisdom that you'd like to share before we sign off? Yeah, you know, um, there's an encyclopedia that I own. It's called The Way of Life, Encyclopedia of the Bible and Christianity, based upon the King James Bible and written from an uncompromising Bible-believing position. Uh, it's written by David Cloud. And uh, I've used it. There's things in there that I've used it for. I really don't use it a lot anymore, but for certain subjects, I might go to it. But, uh, you know, nobody is the answer man. Nobody knows it all. Nobody has it all. And uh, there's nothing wrong with some of these tools that we have. I, I, have, a, I have a couple books that get broke. Um, but unfortunately, we get into the, we get into the uh, mindset that there's, that there's our guru. There's our answer man. Um, you know, I love the King James Bible, but I was pretty floored when, when I saw one time that Gail Ripplinger, a lady who was popular for writing on the King James, was speaking as the featured speaker for a Sunday morning service in a church in uh, North Carolina. Uh, you know, we're, 
we kind of get goofy sometimes when we allow someone who might be good at something to become the know-it-all about everything. There isn't a know-it-all about everything. Um, another guy, Ken Hoven. I, I consider Ken Hoven to be one of the greatest resources for um, teaching and understanding creation and uh, versus evolution. Uh, but I don't agree with Ken Hoven on everything. But you know how easy it is for someone to become so popular and so big that whatever they say, it, it must be right. Uh, we need to be careful of that. Uh, if we are, if we are truly independent and we are truly independent Baptists, we're going to search the scriptures to see if those things are so. And uh, there's no greater book that you have than this right here. This is the greatest library that you own, your, your Bible, the King James Bible, and if you're an English-speaking person. And so trust the Word and let the Holy Spirit lead and teach. And if you're trying to help someone, be gracious, be kind, uh, be considerate, uh, be patient. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible, one of my favorite passages is talking about in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. We go, we go so much farther when we meekly and humbly instruct someone. Never forget that it could be you that was confused. It could be you that's messed up. And so always have grace. Always have a, a, a compassion and, a, and a, a tear in your eye for the for the people who are who are goofed up, whether it's the gospel, they're they're lost, or whether they're just confused about theology. Be be gracious with people. Uh, sure, there's a time to preach and to stomp and to slam your fist on the pulpit, but be gracious. And in, in the day of social media and internet, uh, it's really easy to be ungracious in front of a screen because uh, it's not the same as standing there face to face and talking to them. So so don't be guilty of of being uh, less than what the Bible says about meekly instructing those that oppose themselves. Uh, I, I believe that that will help you. Uh, it'll, I'm not saying that politeness is all it's, that it's all about, but the Bible talks about being kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, and, and we need to do that. And uh, we need to we need to have a, a spirit of meekness about us when we do it. Amen. Well, I really I, I really appreciate that, and I oops I agree. We you got to be patient. And, you know, I hope, you know, I hope I'm an encouragement to people because, you know, I mean, I was as pre-trib as you can get. I, I, so I was always pro-Jew, but not like, I wasn't militant. But, you know, I tell people, hey, if I came around, I think anybody can come around. And you know what? I'm thankful uh, for those who didn't just, um, you know, I guess were patient with me, uh, weren't calling me a heretic, telling me I was lost because I didn't agree with them on these things. But it, these things, you're not going to change somebody's mind overnight. And, and you know, you mentioned it a couple times, you know, don't go trying to change your pastor. Um, I talked to somebody the other day, you know, in, in a certain situation, I agreed with them. They're right, but the pastor and the entire church thought differently than him. And I, I just told him, said, listen, you can't expect a church of over 100 people to change everything they do and everything they teach because of you when you're not even the pastor you you can't expect that and if this is too big of a deal you might need to just go elsewhere and uh and when but when it comes to certain things changing people's minds it is it's it's a process it's a long process and uh, i think it's important that your pastor knows that you know i don't have to 
he shouldn't think that whenever you're questioning about these things or you're challenging them, you're giving them ultimatums because then stubbornness is going to come in. And it's important that we try to find ways to, uh, you know, advance this without, you know, you know, understanding that everybody deals with things like pride and stubbornness. And if you approach it the wrong way, those things are going to flare up and we're not going to get anywhere. And so, uh, and so I do, I, li I like your approach pastor first. I think it's good. And I thought, I thought your book uh, was very balanced at being, I mean, telling the truth and telling it like it is, but yet not being mean to people at the same time. And so listen, I hope you all will go and buy a copy of who is Israel, uh, buy it for yourself, buy it for someone else. Let's get this book around. You can get marching design DVDs. I think there's a package deal where you can buy the book and the marching design DVD. Uh, somebody might not want to read a whole book. Maybe they'll watch the DVD. Some people won't watch a DVD, but they'll read a book. Uh, get it out there. And once again, those of you who won, make sure you email me tonight. Um, and I'll order those tonight. Otherwise, I'll just wait until uh, you email me. But uh, thank you all for listening. And thank you, Pastor First, for doing this. I hope this was a blessing to you. And uh don't have any other interviews scheduled yet. I have some great ideas for them, but we will uh, we will do this again in the future. So thank you very much. We will talk to you later.